King Ahab when he didn't get the vineyard? How about Saul, uh, the bleeding of the sheep, and he, he was willing to sin in order to get what he wanted? We can go on and on and on with this with biblical characters. We can even find in the life of Peter and some of the New Testament characters. And the realization is sometimes we desire something, maybe in and of itself, a desire that isn't sinful, but by the way we get it or how we act when we don't get it, we do become sinful in our lives. And that's just kind of the thing that I wanted to use. And I used here in a sheet as an illustration. It's like a child uh, who, who is asked to put away their toys, you know, asked by the parent to clean up their toys. And guess what? Child's not done playing yet. Why should I put away my toys if I'm not done playing yet? Uh, the child doesn't care that it's 9 o'clock at night. Child doesn't care maybe that there's church in a little bit that you got to go to or a family activity or whatever. The child's main concern is I'm not done playing yet, so why should I put away my toys? And so we recognize that a child may just straightly disobey and not get up from playing and start putting away the toys. It's just a direct disobedience. Or when the parent uses more pressure or leverage on the child, uh, then the child throws a tantrum because they have to put away their toys and they don't want to. So again, what are we looking at? We're looking at they're going to sin in order to get what they want. Now, is it wrong for a child to want to continue to play with their toys? No. Uh, is it wrong to disobey their parents in order to play with their toys? Yes. Or is it wrong to throw a tantrum uh, because the parent is now making them put away their toys? By the way, this is true of men when they throw a tantrum as well. Uh, so why sometimes you might have to do this with a more adult level uh, when working with your children uh, that are adults uh, in your home. No, so it, it can go, and by the way, it happens in adult lives too. Uh, we don't want to stop doing something. We don't want to put something away. We don't want something to change. And, and so we got to be careful in our own hearts and our own souls about that as well. So now that desire has become sinful. Now there's a disciplinary. And saying that, too, as a parent, just throwing something out here really quick, uh, you have to understand that it's the uh, get to the heart of your child and what's going on and get to that heart when you instruct them. Uh, don't just discipline them for disobeying, but help them to understand what made that desire become sinful. And I think that's a parenting issue. Okay, another one that I gave as well, and I put it into a pastor so that you could point the fingers at me and uh, enjoy doing that maybe for a little bit. But a, a pastor may desire for more people to attend a church. Is that in and of itself sinful? No, it is not. Uh, you want to impact your community for the cause of Christ. You want to reach more people. Uh, can, that can that desire become sinful? Okay, so in what ways? What might a pastor do that would be sinful in order to try to achieve that desire? Let's, let's work with that. This actually blends really well. It wasn't my purpose. It was God aligning the... Uh, the messages together works well with my message that I'm preaching this morning. But what might a pastor do uh, that would be sinful in order to get more people to come to his church? Brother Shane. Okay, the watering down of the word. We talked about that in the earlier service today. Good, good example of that. Pastor Seth. OK, 
Okay, a compromise of biblical doctrine, looking at merely entertaining people. And so a compromising of the message. Somebody else? Yes, Brother Bennett. Yeah, instead of preaching what may be an offensive biblical message, they just kind of uh, soften that message. So what, what it might a pastor do if he doesn't get what he wants? What, what might be a sinful reaction in that way? Uh, Becky. Yeah, berate the people uh, for not doing their part in, in reaching more people for the cause of Christ. Somebody else? Yes, Nashika. Okay, uh, trying to use the guilt complex, trying to just throw the guilt toward the people. Somebody else? Pastor Seth? Yeah, he might just move on. Oh, these people, this church is never going to grow. And so when God may want him to stay and to work through and, and mature himself uh, before he can mature the church, uh, and so there are some things that we must just stop and consider in this. Um, what, uh, let me I'll see, let me see what else I might have. Uh, what would be a biblical way to try to strive to, to get that desire? What might be it, Marianne? Good, seek God's counsel. Uh, it is, by the way, it isn't always God's desire for the numbers to be huge. And so sometimes uh, we fail, and it's not a, a sinful desire to want that, but it's not always God's desire. Uh, there aren't going to be rewards in heaven according to how big the church was. Uh, in fact, the scripture gives, it says, we'll give an account of how we led the church uh, and what type of preaching there was, not merely the numbers. And so uh, seek the Lord's counsel, or what would you have me to do? Someone else, I saw somebody else over there, Becky. Okay, remaining faithful. Serving the Lord must not strive, but be gentle. Uh, also, uh, a faithful, be an example of the believers in word and conversation and spirit and charity and faith and purity, uh, according to Paul's writing to Timothy. And so that faithfulness, remaining and being faithful. Was it Rita that had her hand up? Yes, Rita. Okay, might, might need to... Uh, strive to reach the community more instead of just putting up more signs to try to get people to come in. Uh, maybe try to go out into the community more, more evangelism, uh, more door-to-door, -door, uh, more outreaches into community events. And so what we have to recognize that uh, if there is a desire to curb it from becoming sinful, we need to seek the Lord and to go about it in a biblical way. And again, then if we still don't get it, what do we do then? Let's say you, you, you pour your life into the community. Uh, you prayed and asked the Lord for counsel. You, you've tried to really uh, be in tune with the Lord and the preaching of the word. <clears throat> if you still don't get the, the numbers that a pastor may want, what do you do then? Okay, a contentment, 
uh, come with a spiritual contentment. He says, you might just have to recognize this isn't what the Lord wants at this time and become content in the state that, that you're in. Somebody else? Anyone else? Yes, Marianne. A number of years ago, a pastor uh, had a number of people that were departing uh, because of one of his messages. And, and he said he probably made one of the biggest mistakes he'd ever made in his life in ministry. And by the way, a very godly man, man that continues to pastor today, a strong, strong Bible church today, and uh, preaching the word today in a d different area uh, of the country. But uh, he says the biggest mistake he made, he preached nine messages against those that left. Well, what ended up happening, those that were still there weren't being fed. And they could see the anger of the pastor coming out in his messages against those who had left. So now guess what? More people leave. And instead of remaining thankful uh, for those that he did have, uh, he desired to uh, attack those that were leaving and since then left his people without the idea of being fed. And so they said, well, this is going to be, you know, the direction of the church now. And he said, I, I shouldn't have done it once, but then I, I did a series of messages. And so he recognized, he apologized to his church and confessed and so forth, but some of that damage was already done. Uh, another pastor, again, these are all Lancaster County-wide, but another pastor wanting the desire decided that he was going to then offer, I think, a total of nine different services on a weekend to his church. And he had the traditional service, and then he had the contemporary service, and then he had a media-type service that was all media-type presentations, and then, you know, the Saturday evening. And I'm not saying there's something wrong with Saturday evening, but sometimes we do things just to make it convenient, uh, to do the things that we want to do, and so we pick the service that's most convenient for us and so forth. And said he, you know, his ultimate goal was to, and I don't want to go into too many details, you might narrow down and figure out what church in the Lancaster County I'm talking about, but he had a certain number of people, and after so many years of nine services, uh, they ended up reaching that one morning, you know. When he total all the nine services together, we had this many people, uh, he achieved, but he didn't have much of a body. They're all broken up into different services. They're all wanting different things. Uh, so there wasn't a unity. Uh, so again, he got what he wanted, but uh, if we're not careful, it's a sinful approach to get what we want. So the story that we've been looking at, the psalm that we've been looking at, but more than a psalm, the story, the story is the story of Asaph and his life. Asaph had already talked about how the Lord would uh, judge the wicked, and he talked about that in Psalm 50, but now he takes us to Psalm uh, 73 that I have here on a sheet of paper printed out and marked for my own perusal here. And so Asaph says in this psalm uh, that he was envious at the foolish in verse number 3, so envy had crept into his life. Uh, they have more than heart could wish, he says at the end of verse number 7. So again, it's a form of envy. He was wanting what they have. In fact, he would make the statement that I have, verily I have cleansed my heart in vain, verse 13, I should tell you that first. Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. Uh, you know, I, I changed my life, but it really wasn't worth it because I didn't get anything for it. 
all day long I have been plagued, uh, I, uh, have I been plagued and chastened every morning when he talked about they don't have trials like other men. Uh, they aren't dying like other men. And so Asaph had a desire, one of his desires was for things, his other desire was for less trials. One thing he wanted more of, one thing he wanted less of. And when Asaph didn't get that, he says that my, uh, but as for me, verse number two, my feet were almost gone, my steps had well nigh slipped. I'm in danger of falling here, falling away from the Lord. I'm in danger uh, not of losing a salvation, but in danger of losing that close relationship with the Lord. And so what had happened, those desires had become sinful. It isn't uh, sinful to just want more, or it isn't even sinful to want less trials in our lives. That's kind of natural. Uh, but when you want it so badly that you're willing to say, you know what, I don't even know I should have entered into this relationship with God. Uh, it definitely becomes sinful in his life. If you have the chart before you, and I'd encourage you to get that out. I want to talk about this chart a little bit. Uh, this chart which was originally presented, not this one exact, uh, but something similar uh, called Idols of the Heart. Uh, it would take you to passages like James chapter 1, James chapter 4. Uh, we, we don't get the things that we ask for that we may consume it upon our lust. Uh, we get it from Ezekiel chapter 14, uh, where the Lord talks to Ezekiel about the elders, these spiritual leaders who have put up idols in their own heart. Uh, they've set a stumbling block of iniquity before themselves. Uh, they've put a temptation to sin. They've departed from the Lord. All of these things that happen when someone uh, built up an idol in their heart. And by the way, your study sheet, the smaller study sheet is two-sided, and you may want to flip that as well. Because I think there's something really important for us to understand. Uh, number one, I had mentioned this last week, but I think something becomes, what becomes an idol in our heart is ourself. And the reason we become the idol, we've taken God off the throne of our lives and put ourselves on the throne of our lives, is because we are wanting things to please us instead of pleasing the Lord. And so we're actually now trusting in things to make us happy instead of trusting in the Lord. You see the transferal? I know that I am now have sinful desires that have caused God to be taken off the throne of my life and for me to be there because I'm now looking at things and people to validate who I am and, and to make me feel important and to... Uh, give me fulfillment and joy instead of the Lord. Again, he is to be our expectation, according to Psalm 62. Well, we're now expecting things to make us happy. We're now expecting people to make us happy. So it's become about us. So I really don't think necessarily the TV becomes the idol. I think in, at points and times it can be. I think we're the idol. Uh, I, I don't think it's going fishing that becomes the idol. I, I think we're the idol. And the tool that we're using may be fishing, and it could be shopping or any other temptation that may have gone awry in our lives. One of the things that really helped me then was on the left-hand side. We've already covered it a little bit. But again, how to determine if something has become a selfish desire in my life, what will I do in order to get it? Am I willing to sin against the Lord in order to get it? Or 
how will I respond if I don't get it? Do you remember a, a guy named Haman? What book is he found in? The book of Esther. Uh, he came away from the king feeling good. But someone didn't treat him the way he wanted to be treated. That man's name was Mordecai, Mordecai, depending on the different pronunciations people may use. So he went from being really happy, and it's just a classic verse, to enraged. And it was merely because someone didn't treat him the way he wanted to be treated or someone didn't respect him the way he wanted to be respected. Is it sinful to be properly respected? I don't believe it is. And to desire that. In fact, he desired that and in a sense, in his position, deserved that uh, for as he was working for the Persian government. But Mordecai, being a Jewish man, was not going to show him that respect. And so when he didn't get what he wanted, he responded in anger. And so that can happen in our lives. Somebody's not treating us the way we want to be treated. Uh, Someone's not doing for us the things we want them to do for us. If we're not careful, our heart can turn. And we can respond now unbiblically back to them. We, we still need to walk in the Spirit so we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Uh, we still need to please the Lord even though they're not pleasing the Lord. If someone else isn't pleasing the Lord and, and they're mistreating us, it doesn't give us the right now to sin and back toward them. We've got to recognize our relationship with God and we've got to recognize where does our peace come from? Does it come with having a proper relationship with them? Or does it have with coming a proper relationship with the Lord? Our greatest peace comes from having a right relationship with the Lord. So sometimes what happens is not only does our relationship with that individual break, but our relationship with the Lord breaks in a sense. And so now we're not, we're not getting peace from that relationship with that person and we're not getting peace from that relationship with the Lord. Why is that? Because we've been sinful in our responses. So the thing that really stood out to me, one gentleman taught that we we move in progression from I desire to I demand to I judge and to I punish. And let's talk through this a little bit. It's found there in the back of your study sheet. It's found there also under that, uh, what will I do in order to get it or how I respond if I don't get it. A desire, you would like something that isn't sinful. You have a desire. In fact, just so you understand, in the Bible, the word desire and lust are actually interchangeable. And it's the context of the passage that tells you whether it's a sinful desire or lust or a holy desire or lust. Uh, Paul desired someone to come to Ephesus to minister to the church, someone who was like-minded, who would care for their state. Sinful or holy? That's holy. But he had a desire. In fact, he had a concern. Again, concerns can be sinful or holy, depending on the context of the passage. Uh, It can be also translated worry in the negative form. So, So a desire is something that you would like, Again, you're not demanding it. You would like. You would like to have that. You'd like to see that done. 
uh, that isn't sinful. A demand is you now have to, you demand that that's given to you. You demand that that happens in order for you to be happy or fulfilled. So you might have to look at something in your life. There are so many illustrations that I can think of, but you have a desire. Now here's the demand, and I, I have to, let's go back to the child uh, playing with the toys they are demanding that they play longer. They demand that they don't have to put away their toys. Or a pastor demands, you know, I'm going to change staff. Sorry. Uh, I'm going to change staff. I, I'm going to uh, make this change or that change in order to get, because this is what I've always wanted, to have more people. Again, this now moves into a place where we are making a demand. Uh, we are now shifting from something not being sinful to now it's sinful. I have to have this. I must have this in order to be filled or in order to be happy. So then when that isn't met, and sometimes that's how we present it. Okay, you go, let, let's say you desire to have a, a, a husband uh, that, that is uh, more connected to the family. And then when you don't get that, you demand that. And if that's not fulfilled, I'm going to judge you. So you're demanding more family time and you're demanding maybe better provision and so forth. And, and when you don't get that, now, now you're going to judge that husband. Well, you're, you're, you're a no good husband. Uh, you're not a godly man at all. Uh, so now we become the judge. And I said, one of the things that we have to be really careful of when moving through this progression, now, now be aware of this, any one of us can move any day and time through this progression. None of us are able to pick up the first stone and cast it at someone else. Because depending on what it is, we all struggle at times from a desire becoming a demand. And so what happens is when that person doesn't meet the demand that we have, we now judge them as being insufficient and improper to meet the demands of our life. And we punish them. So I, I made a statement when reading this past week, and I wrote it down somewhere. Uh, oh, I, I think I even have it on the study sheet here. Uh, let me see if I can find it. Yes, I, I have a cross in front of it. By the way, a cross for me is a, an impactful truth. Sometimes in the study sheets, I'll have a question mark that just says there's a question to come. This is something I, I like to ask throughout the message. You notice I don't look down a whole lot, so uh, sometimes I miss the questions I'm supposed to ask. And the other is a, a cross, and that's an impactful truth. And I put down here, when we judge, we're acting like the devil while wanting to be like God all at the same time. See, the, Satan's the accuser of the brethren. And God's the only righteous judge. Let me ask you a question. I, there's no question mark here, but let me ask you a question. Have you ever made a wrong judgment? We all have, haven't we? We misunderstood something. We didn't know all the facts. Of course, there's an excuse of why we made a wrong judgment. We didn't make it for, you know, we didn't make it because we were wrong, right? Uh, you know, we, we have all made wrong judgments. And so there is only one righteous judge. 
So who are we to judge others, anyone? Uh, we have to be really careful because what happens, there becomes sinful animosity, there can come bitterness. All of those types of things can spring up in our hearts. Because what has happened, we have gone from saying, I would like this out of this person in my life, or this event in my life, or this circumstance in my life. Now, I, I demand, I must have this. Have you ever said to someone, promise me you'll never do that again? We should never do that. I, I think it's totally unbiblical. You say, wait a second, they shouldn't lie. But it is, do you realize what you're trying to do? Get somebody who's a liar to promise you something? How's that going to work? You've already figured out they're a liar. But I've had parents tell me, I, I told my son to promise me he'll never lie to me again, then he lied to me. What'd you expect? Uh, and, and without the Lord's help, we are capable of repeating any sin without the Lord's help. So I understand you may, may put a demand onto a child or onto a spouse or onto a co-worker and try to get them to promise. But again, what you're doing is making a demand to fulfill your joy. And very often, I'm not going to say wholeheartedly across the board, but very often the reason we're making them promise us that is because of how it hurt us or impacted us, not how it hurt their relationship with the Lord. We don't want hurt again. And so we are making a demand. And so now when they don't meet that demand, they, they went ahead and promised, I promise I'll never do that again. And so when they do fail, because they probably will, because we, we aren't handling this in a biblical way, there wasn't repentance, there wasn't confession, there wasn't Bible. Uh, we're just making promises and just trying to willpower our way through that. And because they're going to fail, then we judge them. And now we punish them. What is it? You go through the court system and they render a verdict and the, the judge or the jury, depending on the style of court system it is, find someone guilty, correct? Then what happens a couple days later to a couple weeks later, what happens then? What's the word? Sentencing. What's going to be the punishment for that? And so the danger is then we work into this fourth category. Now, again, it started with a simple sinless desire. But because it wasn't fulfilled, we ah, just asking didn't work. I'm going to demand it. Sometimes that's what happens in a marriage. Sometimes that's what happens in raising children. I ask them to do that. Now I'm going to demand. And I'm not saying you can, as a parent, demand, command your children to obey and to do things. Don't take it that way. But I'm saying there are times we, we move to these demands and then we're going to judge and punish. And in the realm of parenthood, this, is, this works. But doing this in every area of our life is not biblical. So we punish. Either deliberately or unconsciously, we hurt or punish people who do not give us what we desire or what we have demanded. Uh, we, we may punish by giving them the silent treatment. We may punish them by yelling at them. Uh, 
verbal accusations against them. Uh, we might punish them by withholding things that should be natural in a relationship. Uh, we, we might punish them by name-calling, uh, gaslighting, etc. And so, again, I think this is really helpful because in our lives, what, what, I, what I'd like us to see is we're moving through a progression because I, this is what I see, that if we see it as a progression, we can catch ourselves. Wait a second. I'm no longer just desiring this. I'm demanding it for my own satisfaction. I'm trusting in this person to bring me joy and fulfillment, not the Lord. I'm trusting in this activity to bring me joy and fulfillment, not the Lord. And so we can catch ourselves and say, all right, I need to get back to where I would like to have this. But if God doesn't see fit to give it to me, I can be content in the state that I'm in. Does that make sense? Again, we want to catch ourselves from falling in these selfish or sinful desires of the heart. Even a TV can take us down that road. Hunting can take us down that road. Time with children or grandchildren can take us down that road. Uh, whatever affection we would want from somebody or whatever attention we would want can take us down that road. So trying to identify, like a David, what made that turn sinful. Like a Jacob, what made that turn sinful. And we could go on and on with biblical illustrations. So I hope this is a help to you. Uh, again, I think every one of us have to check the idols of our heart. It's going to be two weeks, so I get back to this. Again, next Sunday morning, I'll be da actually in Tennessee. Uh, one of our former young men who... Uh, got called to preach while under the ministry here and went off to Bible college. Riley uh, is being ordained for, into the gospel ministry and he asked me to be part of his ordination. Uh, I, I just really don't want to miss that. What a privilege to be uh, part of that. And then the following week is when Dr. Harding will be here. I, I, the ordination came in the middle. I already had the Dr. Harding scheduled. Uh, if it came the other way around, probably would have tried to move. Uh, but I, I just, uh, the next two weeks I can't. So I got two more lessons in Psalm 73. The next one is before, before and after being with the Lord. Because you can see a dynamic change in one verse and an attitude change in the rest of the psalm after Asaph got alone with the Lord. That could be a huge lesson for us as well of how to change is getting along and alone with the Lord. Uh, we're actually going to see that tonight in tonight's sermon. Tonight's sermon is on going from having a fear of man to a fear of God. And actually, both fears look totally different. That's tonight on uh, facing your fears uh, from Psalm 34, if you want to look at that ahead of time, specifically verses 7 and 11. All right, I need to quit talking. Uh, you need a break from me. And some of you are heading out. You've been here to the early service in Sunday school now. God bless you in your day. Uh, and if you can, come back tonight. We'd love to minister in that way. Others of you are staying and we'll connect there. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Uh, 
Father, in a sense, we're exposing Asaph, but in a sense, we're exposing all of our hearts. Because as Asaph goes, so goes every one of us. And at times being envious and at times wanting to have more things and less trials. And so I just pray that you'd help us to deal with the, the sin of our own hearts. When the desires become a demand and when people haven't met the demands, we judge them and punish them for what they've done to us. And Father, we end up living like the devil while we're believing to be uh, the righteous judge like only you are. And so please help us. Please help us not to put these demands upon people, demands upon things to fulfill us, but may we be truly satisfied by you and you alone. In Jesus' name we pray.